maybe my favorite, one of my favorite, I think I say that about every song, don't I? The old rugged cross, the old rugged cross. And tonight, as it's been said, we will uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper. We also know as communion. But before we do that, I do want to uh, try and look at the scriptures just a little bit concerning what it is that is taking place tonight. It's already been said. It's so good to have Brother Charlie Marshall. And I understand maybe your son and your family with you tonight. Is that correct? And a blessing to have them with us this evening, Brother Charlie. All right. Good to have every one of them with us tonight. And we're thankful for that. And we'll say, even in the beginning of this service, if you're saved tonight, you're saved tonight, we would encourage you to take part of the communion service later. We do not have closed communion here. We just asked you to examine yourself, which is what Paul asked the church at Corinth to do, to examine themselves and uh, so that they not take of that communion service unworthily. So tonight I want to look in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. If the Lord would be our helper for just a few moments and try to give you just a few thoughts maybe that the Lord has placed in my heart. Uh, I take the communion service very seriously when it's time to preach about it, when it's time to partake in it. Uh, I've always taken it very seriously. And uh, we certainly don't want to uh, get anything wrong ever about the scriptures. Our minds and our best attempts will do that sometimes. We'll miss things and we'll be wrong about things. Uh, but we certainly want to try to give you what I feel like the Lord has given to me tonight. In 1 Corinthians 11, you will remember that as we have preached some through the book of Corinthians, that the church at Corinth was a troubled church. They were divided in many areas. The, the Apostle Paul, as he opened up uh, the first chapter of the book of the Corinthians, he said, I hear there be divisions among you. And uh, that was a problem in the church. And as we come to chapter number 11, uh, things are not really any different. Paul is still addressing problems within the church at Corinth. And in the beginning in verse 17 up to about verse 22, Paul deals with the problem that the church of the Corinthians were having with the Lord's Supper and with the communion service Many churches in that time had developed a meal actually before the communion service which was known as a love feast. It is still practiced in many churches today. I know in the eastern part of Tennessee, uh, the brethren denominations still uh, participate in a love feast and a foot washing uh, before they have a communion service and it's all tied together. The problem here in the church at Corinth is that they had turned the Lord's Supper pretty much into uh, a, drunken, a drunken feast where everyone uh, was just eating. Uh, they were committing the sin of gluttony. Uh, they were drinking to the point of drunkenness. And uh, they had abused. And uh, Spurgeon calls it an unworthy communion dealing with those verses from 17 through 22. One writer said this concerning the text I'll read to you tonight. He said, right in the middle of a muddy mess, God dropped a diamond when he dropped these verses dealing with the subject of the Lord's communion. 
It's also believed, according to history, that it is very possible that the book of 1 Corinthians was written before the Gospels were written. And if that is true, then what we have in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11 is the first mention or the first instructions of how that the communion service should be done and how that we should go into this service looking at what we're going to partake in. Verse 23 said, For I, speaking of Paul, have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is of the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. That is the text that is in my heart tonight. I want to go to the Lord in prayer and ask His blessing on the service, ask His blessing on the reading of His Word, and ask His blessing on all that takes place here tonight. Father, one more time today, I come humbly in Your presence. God, thankful again for another opportunity to gather together with the believers. Thankful, Lord, for the fellowship that You've given us, God, in this local church. I am grateful tonight for the privilege to be able to read Your Word aloud in our language to our people. Father, tonight I pray that Your Word would find its way to the hearts Every man, woman, boy, and girl that is in this place tonight, I do ask you, Lord, that you would touch these lips of clay. I pray that you would touch my mind. I pray you'd refresh it. I pray, God, you'd bring to remembrance those things, Lord, that we've studied. And God, most importantly tonight, I pray only the words you would have to be said would leave my mouth this evening. I do thank you, Lord, for every person that is represented here tonight. Thank you, Lord, for their lives and what they have meant to the church of Landis Baptist Church. And I pray, God, your blessings upon everyone, God, that is here this evening. Lord, there may be one tonight that does not know you in the free pardon of sin. I would ask you humbly, Father, that tonight may be the night that you would draw them unto yourself. God, you'd open their eyes, show them the condition that they are in as a lost sinner. And God, show them a redeeming Savior 
who loves them and died for them, Lord, that they might be saved. I do ask you, Father, that you would help in the communion service tonight, that, Lord, all that we do here would be to your glory and to your honor, for we ask it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. This is a familiar text. If you have been in church any length of time at all in your life, in a communion service you have probably heard this text read. If not this one, you've heard it read from the book of Matthew or the Gospels as to what it was that Jesus said uh, there when they partook in that last Lord's Supper before he went to Calvary and gave his life willingly for our sin. I will remind you that uh, there was a feast of the Passover uh, in the Old Testament that represented uh, that Passover lamb that Christ would become. If you'll read and study the Scripture, most modern theologians, or not even modern, but uh, the old theologians, the Puritans, all of them uh, that we study from, will tell you that what we do as the Lord's Supper has taken the place of what they did and the Passover. Uh, that bread has become his body and that wine has become his blood. Now, we do not believe, as the Catholic Church does, that, uh, that that blood and that bread, that wine and that bread, turn physically to the body and the blood of Jesus after uh, we eat that and drink that. That is the doctrine of transubstantiation uh, that they believe. We do not believe that naturally, but rather we believe it is a symbol part of the ordinance of, that God left to the local church that helps us to demonstrate and remember uh, that his body was broken and his blood was shed uh, that we might be born again. Paul said here in verse 23, he said, I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered. Most writers believe that, uh, that this line in and of itself uh, might demonstrate that this book was written before the Gospels, saying that Paul first received uh, uh, this message from the disciples on how uh, that the communion should be given and passed that on to believers and others as he began uh, to establish local churches, uh, and that the Lord, that same night uh, that he was betrayed, took the bread. I want you to look at verse 24, and there is uh, two words in the verse that have stood out to me tonight. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, or which is broken for you. The last two words of that sentence is what is standing in my heart and in the forefront of my mind tonight when he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. For you. We understand as we read Scripture and we are familiar with the story or the actual historical record, I should say, of the crucifixion of our Lord. And we are, uh, we are familiar with the fact that not a bone of Him was broken. We know these things, but yet Christ said, this is my body which is broken 
for you. His body was mutilated according to Psalm chapter number 22 uh, uh, as his bones uh, uh, stare upon him as the psalmist said uh, uh, he was marred uh, beyond recognition uh, uh, listen Isaiah said that it was by his stripes that we are healed uh, uh, it is known uh, to anyone that has studied history or studied the word of God uh, that the body of our Lord and Savior uh, was beaten and bruised and bloodied and abused and uh, I mean gone far beyond that uh, that any other man had ever experienced. And he said, it is broken for you. It is broken for you. I do not know if you do this kind of thing. Sometimes I do. I insert me where those two words for you are written. I insert my name and I insert my life in a place uh, to understand that uh, the cross of Calvary, uh, that terrible, vile uh, means of suffering uh, in the crucifixion uh, was done to this man Jesus for me that he died for me. I've said many times, I cannot, I cannot speak on your behalf, Brother Robert, and I, how your testimony in your life would demonstrate that you have accepted the Lord and you know the Lord, but the only person that can say that his body that was broken for me would be Brother Robert. He knows whether he can say that. Oh, but friend, listen to me tonight. I need you to understand that this word body, it entails more than just his physical appearance. It takes him from that tiny town of Bethlehem, from when he was born and wrapped in swaddling clothes, and laid in a manger. It takes him from there uh, all the way down to the temple uh, 12 years later uh, where he's teaching, uh, asking and answering questions uh, of the Pharisees and the scribes. Uh, it'll move him from a boy of 12 uh, out of that first miracle uh, where he turned the water into wine uh, at a wedding at the age of 30 years old. Uh, it'll cover the next three and a half years of his life uh, where he begins uh, at a open the blinded eyes, raise the sick, raise the dead, touch the leper, and cleanse the temple. All that he did and all that he ever did do is bound in this body that he said was broken for me and for you. The body of the life of Christ was broken for you. The word carries us back to that first Christmas night and says that was the commencement of his physical life, the incarnation of the very God of heaven into the flesh that's likened unto sinful flesh. He bore that. He sustained, or rather he endured that, that you and I might have life and have it abundantly. Christ. And as he, as he 
here in our text said, this is my body. And it's broken. He said, it is broken for you. And as he speaks to the Corinthian believers, he says, listen, he said, this do in remembrance of me. He said, as you take the bread of my body, which is broken, which has been bruised, which has been battered and bloodied, as you remember the life that I lived, that you might have life. He said, do it, that you know you're doing it to my glory and to my honor. Paul said in chapter number 10, he said, we ought to do all that we do to the glory of the Lord. All that we do for his glory. Brother John, a couple of years ago, I guess now, was asked to speak at Brotherhood Breakfast one morning. And he spoke on the thought and the question of whether or not we're doing things for our glory or for his glory. Whether or not we are doing things for a pat on the back or whether we're doing what we're doing to uplift and magnify the Son of God, the Lamb that come to take away the sin of the world, the one who gave us breath to breathe, the one who gave us a voice to speak and legs to walk and hands to work, the one that has given us air to breathe, the one who has given all that we have in the form of His Son. Do we do it to his glory and to his honor? There are days when all of us falter and fail mightily, but Christ said when he had given thanks, he said, this is my body. It's broken for you. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And listen, any time that we know that we're going to partake in the communion service in the Lord's Supper, it is easy for us then to fix our minds and focus our minds on the cross at Calvary, the old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. It is easy for us to fix our eyes on a bloody Jesus with a crown of thorns forced down on his head, hanging naked between the heavens and the earth, shamed for sinful man, bearing the sin of the world, that the world through him might be saved. It's easy then at a communion service to remember that. Christ said, do it often. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. It is said that this church at Corinth had probably abused that because they had begun to take the Lord's Supper every service they had come together. They began to get together for the love feast and it, and it began to progress and progress and progress until it became an unworthy communion. Uh, it became slander. It became a, a mockery of what God had done and Lord help us uh, and not to take for granted uh, and take lightly uh, of the cross at Calvary. You better believe it was a free a salvation pardon offered for all men uh, that would come to him to be born again by the grace Grace of God, but you also better believe it was a serious work. It was costing the God of heaven the life of his only begotten son, his body broken, his blood shed. That we might have heaven. He died that we should live. 
I, I always think, now this really is one of my favorite songs. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. And I think of that when I think of a man hanging between two thieves, two mortal common men, guilty of their sin. <laughs> but at the same time, their sin lay upon our Savior. And the one recognized that, said, this man hath done nothing amiss. He's broken. He's bloodied. He's in the condition that he's in. As an innocent man, uh, it has been in the news lately, a man released from prison, I believe, after 27 years uh, that had been put there for murder uh, that was innocent, that did not uh, commit the crime. Uh, and there he stood, uh, had been condemned uh, as guilty and knowing the whole time that he was there in the prison uh, that he did not do what they said he would do. Uh, it puts me in mind of Christ uh, as he marched his way toward Calvary bearing the sin of the world and knowing he was not guilty of any of that but he bore it quietly the Bible said he opened not his mouth he was led as a lamb out of the slaughter and listen he laid his life down freely broken in his body that we might live There's really two points to the text that is in front of us. That is his body and his blood. I do not believe tonight that I have to remind most of you that the Bible said without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. The old song, and I love it, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We have in our text and in our Bibles and in our minds and in our hearts, if we're born again, we have a broken body of a man who was not guilty of the sin in which he bore. But at the same time, we have his shed blood that we might experience the remission, the forgiveness, the washing of regeneration through that blood that he said was the cup of the New Testament which replaced the blood that had been struck to the doorpost and the lintel, the blood of the New Testament. He said, this is what we do now in remembrance of our redemption. That exodus from uh, that book of redemption, the book of Exodus, uh, where they made their way from Egypt in uh, to Canaan's land, where they crossed the Red Sea, and uh, the Jordan and the mountains trembled and shook, and, and the rams uh, uh, leaped on the hills. Uh, as we read and preached this morning, uh, uh, listen, that exodus uh, has now turned into our redemption uh, uh, through the shed blood of one lamb, uh, and not many lambs, uh, and not many lambs had to die, uh, but one lamb died once and for all and this is what we celebrate commune with him this night the blood I've said it many times in my life it took the blood when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden of Eden 
man's first man-made religion was invented when they sinned in the Garden of Eden and sewed themselves aprons of fig leaves. Just take this for what it's worth. They did not have one or two or three fig leaves strategically placed on their bodies like what the world wants to picture it as. The Bible said they sewed themselves aprons of fig leaves and it covered their bodies. But friend, the problem, the problem with man-made things and man-made religion is that it was not God's way. And God said in order for man to be redeemed from the fall in the Garden of Eden, innocent sacrifices must die. And God made the sacrifice. The blood was shed. And where they made fig leaf aprons, God made them coats of skins by the shedding of blood to atone and cover for their sin from the garden till now it's been the blood from now throughout all eternity it will still be the blood of Jesus that cleanses men from their sin I have marveled in my days the, the men, the people, the women that had the spatter of his blood on their bodies as he walked by and died and went to hell having been so close to the blood. Now listen, we know physically God does not pick a sinner up and douse him in a bucket of blood and and say you're cleansed and you're saved. We know that is not what happens. It is symbolic that we are saved by the blood of Jesus, his death, his sacrifice, his burial, his resurrection is what gives us the freedom and the salvation that we have today. But friend, I'm not opposed of a bloody religion that required a bloody sacrifice in order for mankind to be redeemed. It's always been the blood, it's still the blood, and always will be the blood and he said as we eat the body and drink the blood he said do it remembering me remembering me why because I did it for you for you for you that's why I did it it's for you So many things in the church today have become a mockery to what they set out to be in the beginning. I believe that. I believe worship has taken a turn in our century and in our day way far away from what it was intended to be when it came together on the first day of the week to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We have gone from worship to rock shows. We've gone uh, from worship to uh, self, uh, self 
uh, edifying uh, things that are taking place. We have gone uh, from worshiping Jesus to worshiping music. Uh, there is a debate and an argument all the time as to whether a service should be contemporary or traditional. I mean, it is a debate about music and worship has turned from the true and living God and from the Savior who bled and died for our sins uh, to what we want, not what He wants for us. It has moved far away from the original intent. Tonight, let us not move far away from the intent of what this is representing. Remembering his broken body and his shed blood for you, for me. Remembering that the sins he bore were not his, they were yours. He bore my sin, my sin, he bore it. All of it he paid for. And he said, as you take the cuff, remember, I did it for you. You take the blood, or the bread rather, the bread that is my body that was broken. Remember, I did it for you. And our lives lived most of the time are about us. He said if a man would judge himself, he wouldn't have to be judged. If we would examine ourselves, no one else would have to examine us. If we looked on a daily basis and woke up and said, God, I'm just flesh today just like I was yesterday and, and I'm still sinful today just like I was yesterday and oh Lord, I recognize that and I acknowledge that before you and before humanity and God, would you forgive me for being who I am? And we wouldn't have to worry about what everybody else says about us. We'd already know who we are. The devil said to me one day, you're a sinner. Thank God for the day I realized, devil, you're right. I am. Instead of arguing with him. Amen. He, listen, what anybody, anybody may say about you, I promise you, it's probably worse than what they thought. Amen. It's probably worse than what they thought, and you know that. And deep down... You ought to acknowledge that. Examine ourselves. Say, Lord, we're worse than people think we are. Listen to what he said quickly, and we're going to be done and move toward taking of the Lord's Supper. He said that same manner he took the cup and he supped. It said, it said history. Now, these are things we don't read in our Bible. History says that in those early days, they drank of as many, four, as, many as four cups at the Lord's Supper, some with bitter herbs and spices and some with different things, some with the wine. And one writer said it was the third cup that represented the blood of Jesus. I don't know about all of that. I wasn't there. As long as I've been alive, we've took one cup that represented his blood. And as long as God lets me pastor, that's what we'll take. But what I'm saying is this. This was a big deal to them. It was important. It had been set up as an ordinance of the church to remember what Christ had done for them. 
tonight as I close this portion of the service, I would say to you, he did it for you. He did it for you. His body was broken. His blood was shed for you. I rejoice tonight knowing I'm one of those yous that I know I'm saved. I'm settled with that, Brother Johnny, better than I am anything else in my life. I'm settled that I'm saved and on my way to heaven. I know that. I knew a fellow in Tennessee, his last name was Wilson. He got to run in his family tree. He found out his, one of his great-great-great-grandpas had killed a man when he was a young fella. When he killed that fella, he moved off and settled back in another state, and he changed his name from Bumgardner to Wilson. So when he said, I know I'm saved better than I know I'm a Wilson, he could say it and mean it. Because his family heritage had displayed that a, a relative had killed a man, changed his name, and it caused him to be what he was. And listen, what I'm saying is simple. I'm saved and I know it. And you cannot be saved and not know it. There's no way to do it. Tonight, if you are saved, we'll invite you to be a part of this communion service knowing that that's on you as to whether or not you are where you need to be with the Lord. I'll say, as I've said, every time we've participated, parents, I hope you have explained to your children what is taking place and that you have either given them permission or told them not to based on what you know of their spiritual lives. And again, that will be up to you, not up to me, as to whether or not they participate. But at this time, I want us to stand briefly. I want Brother Matt to come, and I want to give an invitation in case you need to come and pray before we have this communion. I was studying for this and, and uh, rereading it this afternoon, and little did I know that as they sang a hymn at the Lord's Supper, that it is said that in those days they would have began singing the Hallel Psalms. And that they would have begun either in Psalm 113 or Psalm 114 as they would participate in the communion service. I did not know that until this afternoon. I told somebody this morning, I said, when I began preaching through those Psalms, I preached 113, come back the next Sunday night to preach 114, and didn't preach it. I preached 115. And I told you that night, I didn't feel like the Lord wanted me to go to 114, but this morning He did. And we have introduced our communion service with a Hallel Psalm that says, Hallelujah to the Lamb for bringing us up out of the bondage of the land of Egypt where there was strange language and things we did not know and like. We'll give you the opportunity tonight to come and pray while we sing. Thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in 